Well, kids, we're going to let you head towards Children's Church, and uh, for everybody else, welcome. I'm glad that you're here today. Uh, We want to welcome you at all of our campuses, and to those of you who are joining us online, uh, thanks for taking the time to, to be with us today. Anybody looking forward to no more political commercials? Anybody ready? (laughs) I know it's funny how it kind of gets to that point this time of year, but this is your week, all right? This is your week where most of those will will end. Kind of crazy. Anybody just need some encouragement? Anybody need a positive word? You want a positive word? I'll give you a positive word. Yesterday, I had the privilege of being a part of a, of a funeral. And you're like, that doesn't sound very positive. Well, here's the positive part. Um, by the end of our time together yesterday, I saw 18 people stand to their feet indicating that they wanted to begin a relationship with Jesus and surrender their lives to him. How good is our God? How good is our God to bring victories out of even what we consider to be the darkest of moments? Hey, what I got to share with you today is so crazy practical. Um, Everybody who follows Jesus needs to know how to do this. You do. It's something that we need on a daily basis Uh, We are reading right now through the book of Romans, and if you never read through Romans before, you're probably like, wow, right? Because it's kind of different than uh, many of the rest of the books that that we read in the Bible. Some people would call Romans Paul's, you know, greatest work. Um, I don't do that because I get really uncomfortable thinking any part of Scripture is more valuable than another. What, What I would say is that I don't know of any other book in the Bible that goes into more depth of explaining what salvation really is. I mean, just an extraordinary work. Well, the challenge of teaching out of Romans is that it's hard to just focus on one theological point because you feel like you got to, Paul just attaches so much together. But today, we're going to do our best in that. We're going to focus on really one, one verse out of Romans, and then we've got to go get some other stuff to, to help us understand what's, what's going on from the rest of the Bible. But Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, verse 13. We have? Can we get this one going? Romans chapter 8, verse 13. We'll go with the screen for now. Here's what it says. For if you live according to the flesh you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. All right? Anytime we're talking about life or death ought to make us pay attention. But the best summary of this verse I think was spoken a long time ago by a man, his name is John Owen. He was a Puritan theologian. So the the quote that I'm about to give you is almost 365 years old, but I haven't found one that's better. Here's what John Owen said if he was going to sum up Romans chapter 8, verse 13. B 
be killing sin or it will be killing you. That's what it says. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. So I don't do sermon titles anymore, really. Uh, I used to work on that and kind of come up with creative titles, and then I figured out nobody cares. Nobody cares. And so I would spend hours trying to figure it out. But if I were going to give a title to today's talk, it would simply be this. Be killing sin. Everybody needs to know how to do that. Every follower of Jesus needs to get this instruction. Be killing sin. Well, what in the world does that mean and how do we do it? That's what we're going to dig into today. Let's break it down. Go back to Romans chapter 8 again, verse 13. Look at the verse. For if you live according to the, what's the word? Flesh, you will die. First question, okay, what's the flesh? When we think of the word flesh, we, we usually think of like skin. That's not what this word is. There are times in the Bible that it uses the word flesh that way. But this word flesh refers to that rebellious, insubordinate, self-sufficient nature that we have where we have this bent toward rebelling against God. We have this bent toward sin. That is the flesh. That started in the garden Right? Adam and Eve, whose hearts are made to know God, and yet when, when they sin against God, suddenly this battle takes place where the flesh, get this, from the day that you were born, the flesh has been trying to destroy you. Now, come on, let, let, let's get the picture here. When you turn to Jesus, the Bible says a miracle happens in you. You turn to Jesus and there is this miraculous new birth that happens. The Holy Spirit of God moves into your life. He, he forgives your sin and he gives you a new nature. But what the Bible makes clear is this new nature that we are given is still at war with that old flesh. Is still at war. So even though we're a new creation, we are not yet perfect, but we are spirit-empowered and we are sin-hating new creations. Therefore, as new creations, we are fighters. We are called to fight against that flesh. Back in the day, I used to get the privilege to uh, speak at a lot of FCA camps, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And um, I love spending a week with those athletes, and, and every night I'd get to speak to them, and, and somewhere in that process, we would, we would call those students to follow Jesus, and many of them would. And we had this process down with the, with the guy who was kind of the leader of the FCA, and after that night would happen when people would give their life to Jesus, Bill would step in, and he would gather them, and he would say, okay, we need to talk. Because here's this new life that you've been given now from Jesus. He's alive in you. He lives in you. But he said, don't be mistaken. That old nature is still fighting. Now, one of these days, heaven's going to mean, right, no, no more sin. We, we are completely made new. But, but this, this war is still going. And this is the imagery he would use. He would say it's almost like there are two dogs fighting 
in your soul. And this is what he said. Whichever dog you feed the most is going to win. Whichever dog you feed the most is going to win in that particular moment. That's this battle that Paul's setting up here. We are called to fight. Let's keep going. Back to verse 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, check out the next phrase, the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Well, what are the misdeeds of the body? My word that I would give the misdeeds of the body are what we call sin. It's where the flesh takes you. It's where the, that tendency that we have to rebel against God, to push against his heart, to, to push against his direction. When we do that, that's called sin. Th- those are the misdeeds of the body. It results in this action of sin. So back to the verse again. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit, here's our phrase this time, you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Put to death. The old word that we used to see in Scripture for put to death is the word mortify. Today, when we use the word mortify, we have changed its meaning. It's like, oh, I was mortified. It means we're embarrassed. That's not what the word mortify means. The the word mortify means to kill. That's what it means. It it means to put to death. And and, and so I I want us to make sure we, we, we see it clearly. If you are not at war with sin then you're really not connected to Jesus. If you're not at war with sin, you're not connected to Jesus. Now, it's not because being at war with sin makes you connected to Jesus. It's because when you're connected to Jesus, you will be at war with sin. There's a difference. In other words, putting to death, killing The misdeeds, these deeds of the body, that's not the way that we are made right with God. What the scripture says is one of the ways that we know we are right with God is that we will daily be about killing sin. He makes us right with him. What results is this desire to walk this out like Paul's calling us to kill sin daily. Until you believe that your life is a war, until you see that what's at stake is your soul, you will probably spend most of your time just playing at Christianity. You will not have a wartime mindset. It means you have been lulled to sleep by an enemy. And what God is doing right here today, what God is doing in connecting us today, God is extending mercy to some of you that that he is saying, I want you to wake up. I, I want you to wake up to the reality of a war for your soul. When you are in a war mentality, you hear a twig snap behind you, you're ready to fire. He said, I want you to see sin that way. 
The true Christian life involves a meanness. We don't say that very often, but it does. The true Christian life involves a meanness. It involves some violence. But that violence and that meanness is not to be directed toward other people. That meanness and that violence is to be directed against the impulses in my life that would lead me to just be okay with making peace with my sin. He goes, no, you got to. You got to see it as a war, and it's time to get violent. You get violent against the impulses that might lead you to hurt someone else. No. You, you get violent against those impulses that, that would just lead you to be okay with the sin. Everybody sins. It's, it's just, it's just a, no. He says, you got you to kill that. There has to be a violence against that stuff that we know is against God's heart, whether it's lust, whether it's an addiction, whether it's a false security in in money or the praise of people, a a violence against the impulses of our soul to to be okay with racism or to be indifferent to to injustice or poverty or abortion. He goes, no, you, you need to kill that which would lead you to be indifferent to those things. Kill the deeds of the body. It's literally a word that means you got to cut the lifeline. you got to close off the windpipe. These deeds must be killed before they happen. And the way you do that is by severing that root of the flesh, that hostility, that insubordination that rejects God. All right, now we get the how. How are we supposed to do that? Back to verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But here we go. But if by the Spirit, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Kill in such a way that it's the Spirit doing the killing. Now, this is the Spirit of God. This is God himself. And I, we, he is not an instrument in our hands to wield like a sword. No. He's not in our hands. We are in his hands. Can we make sure we keep that straight? He's not in our hands. We are in his hands. He is the power We are not the power. Okay, well, then what does this look like? How do you, by the Spirit, see this happen? We got to back up a few verses, stay in Romans chapter 8, but back up to verse 5 and take a look at this. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds. Their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. So here's our first step. Here's what we see. The first step in putting to death the deeds of the body by the Spirit involves setting our mind on the things of the Spirit. So here's what that means. You face a temptation, and here's what a bunch of you have been taught. You face a temptation, you just say no. 
Just say no. You're trying to get me to do this and I know God doesn't want me? No. But what this teaches us is you actually have to do more than just say no. It is not enough to just look at your temptation and declare no. You also go further than that. You set your mind, you set your heart, you set your spiritual focus on another way. Namely, the things of the Spirit. All right? Are you following me? It's not just enough to try to say no to this thing. In saying no to this thing, I also am to put my heart, my, my focus in another direction, which, which he says those are the things of the Spirit. Okay, what are the things of the Spirit? Well, think about it. Among the spiritual armor that the Bible tells us that we are given by the Spirit, there's only one piece of armor that is an offensive weapon for killing. You know what it is? Yeah, it's a sword. Check out Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation, and here we go, the sword, which of, of who? There's our connection of the spirit, which is the what? It's the word of God. So among all the spiritual armor that we are to put on, the Bible says, right, the one offensive weapon that's used for killing is this sword. So if we're to kill the deeds of the body by the spirit, and the one killing weapon in our armor is the sword, and that sword is called the sword of the spirit, we got good reason to realize this agent for killing sin by the spirit is this sword. The killing we do, we do by the word of God. Set your mind on the words of God and the realities that that stands for. So I'm taking you back. Temptation, here it is. Temptation saying this is what you should do. This is better than, than no. Not only am I saying no, though, my mind then goes to here's what God actually says and here's the reality that's attached to what he says. You fix your mind on the things of the Spirit. That means I'm welcoming and I'm embracing God's word into my heart. I'm taking the sword of the Spirit because that's how he kills sin. Now, there's a paradox here. The paradox is, on one hand, Paul says, killing sin is something I must do. You must do. You put to death those deeds of the body. That's clear. But on the other hand, he says, you do it by who? The Spirit. He's God. Can I tell you that this is, this is the difference between the Christian life and every other moral self-help program? This is the difference. There are many moral self-help programs that say this is how you need to think. These are steps you need to take. The difference in what we're talking about today is not only is there instruction in what we are to do, but there is a real, living connection with God himself, his spirit, who 
When we lean into him in terms of I'm doing this, God, by your power, there is something supernatural that he pours into this sin-killing process. That's the difference. All right, let's keep learning. It's kind of like layer after layer after layer. Let's just keep going. So, so what do you do? What do you do to, to bring the power of the Spirit by the Word of God into sin-killing action? How do we do that? Let's jump for a second to Galatians chapter 3, verse 5. Um, the Apostle Paul also wrote um, this letter to the, to, the, to the Galatians. Here's what he says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 5. So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you? Because that's what we're talking about here. Does he do that by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? He's asking, how does the Holy Spirit flow with miracle working power in our lives? That's what he's asking. How does that happen? Like sin killing. And his answer is, you do realize this is not something you worked your way into. You you realize this is not by what you have done, those works of the law. You realize this happened by hearing with faith, he says. When the word of God, the sword of the spirit, is heard and believed, the spirit is moving with sin-killing action. We'll say it again. When the word of God, which we've learned is the sword of the spirit, is heard and believed, the spirit is moving with sin-killing action. I'm going to give you an image that I hope maybe can can help us a little bit this week. The connection between the Holy Spirit and you is the word of God and faith. The connection between us and him is the word of God, that's what we're learning, and faith. So it's sort of like a socket and a plug. When, When your faith, that would be represented by this plug, Right is connected to the socket of God's word, the spirit flows. Isn't that simple? The plug of your faith, you hear God's word, but how does that happen? Your faith connected to the socket of God's word, the spirit flows. And when he flows... He kills sin. My prayer is this week, every time you got to plug in your phone, you remember. Every time this week you got to plug something in that you remember, that it just triggers your heart this week, I'm going to learn how to fight differently. I'm going to be more intentional about fighting this thing that wants to take me out. I'm not just going to sleep through this anymore. I'm going to recognize it for what it is, and on a daily basis, I I want my faith in hearing the word of God to see the spirit activated in terms of his power unleashed to kill that sin that needs to be 
destroyed. So what, what word should we trust? Like, okay, my faith is, is trusting in his word, but what, what word should we trust? Here's, here's why I'm asking that question. Usually the answer that we would give is an answer like, well, the word, the gospel, the gospel, and that's true. And that, the gospel is, is, our feet are always standing on the gospel. I mean, it is, it is the foundation. But I also want us to see, and, and I want you to hear me the right way, it's more than that. Are we forgiven? Yes. Is that a promise of God? Yes. Are we made right with God? The word in the Bible is justified. Are we made right with God? Yes. But you realize on top of that, there is a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of promises. All that's included. All that's included. We're standing on the gospel, but every day I'm preaching to myself some specific promises that kill specific sin. Let me show you this verse out of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 verse uh, 20, I believe it is. It, it says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. What does that mean? It means do you realize Jesus paid for every promise for those who have put their trust in him. When you put your trust in him, what he has done for you through a cross and a resurrection, all the promises of God, they are yes for you. And, and when you hear those promises and when you believe those promises, that gives glory to Jesus, the one who made all of that possible. Let me give you an example and let's see if we can sort of wrap our heads around, okay, this is, how, this is how this looks. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Look at the first part of this verse. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Hmm. Now, if you read the Bible, you're like, okay. Yes, this is, this is, I, I know that money itself is not evil, but the love of money is. Because what does that represent? It represents something, what's happening in my heart is, is this is the thing that I am, that I am passionate about most. This is the thing that I, that I love the most. And, and come on, don't you hate reading that content word? Like, we all know what it's like to find ourselves not content with what we have. It's a battle. It's a battle. And we find ourselves, despite what we have, continuing to pursue sometimes things that we can't even afford. But oh, if I had this thing that's a little nicer than 
The one that I got, oh, if I had, and don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with enjoying things. Bible calls us to enjoy. God blesses us. He gives us resources, but we know the difference when there is not a contentment in our heart. We know the difference when we start to play the money game and we go, well, I I really don't, it's not about more money for me. Well, lots of times it's about having more stuff for us. And if I can just take the next step, the nicer step, the, 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 then I'm, then I'm, I'm, I'm going to really enjoy. All right. So you, you got it. That's that, that, that's that flesh going, this, this will make you happier. That's that flesh going, this will make, make your life better. You ready for the dagger? So we need the dagger that's going to kill that kind of thinking before it leads to sin. Here's the dagger. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. He goes, look, th- this, this is the tendency that you have. This, this is where it's really easy for your heart to go if you listen. But here is the promise of God that I am making to you. So verse 6, he continues. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? In other words, you know what? I am going to stop worrying about what everybody else thinks in terms of what I have or don't have. I am going to stop worrying about how they perceive who I am because of this thing that I have and I wish I had that. I I am not going to worry about, you know why? Because God said he is never going to leave me. God said that he is never going to forsake me. That is the promise that I am hearing and I am believing. And when I do, the Holy Spirit is activated to kill that flesh that wants to lead me to a place in my life that I sin because I put more trust in what I have than who I know and who I belong to. That makes sense? That's the picture. That's the picture. Oh, but what if I, what if I lose my job? In this whole COVID thing, like what if, what if the business shuts down? What if, what if, what if they have to, what if, what if I lose my job through all of this? What, what if the rent can't be paid? What if the mortgage is overdue? He's like, you need to hear and you need to believe this promise. You need to act with the wisdom of God's word as you operate with the resources that you have. But when you trust his promises, you are activating the spirit of God to kill the greed or the fear or the pride that would be in any possessions that you have. Killing sin means daily calling to mind the promises of God. So whether it's anger or despair or self-pity or fear impatience, irritability. (laughs) Like how do you put to death those sins and the deeds of the body that might come from them? It's knowing the promises. My God is always good. My God is always in control. He loves us more than we can comprehend. 
and he has plans to give us a hope and a future. There are times that we're down. That's just that's part of this fight, right? Times that emotionally and physically we, we feel exhausted. What do I do with that? How about because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. You got to go to Lamentations to find that one, by the way. My point is, even in the book of Lamentations, there are promises. We are putting to death the deeds of the body by be killing sin by the Spirit. Where fear says, what if, what if this happens? Some of you, that's, that's your life. Like your whole life is constantly, what if, what if this happens? Faith says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will withhold you with my righteous right hand. Isaiah 41. Well, you're worried. I'm, I'm, I just can't seem to let go of this, this worry. I, I, I know I'm supposed to, but here, here's, here's the deal. Faith responds, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. John chapter 14. Doubt, frustration when they speak into our life. You ever had this one? Why are you wasting your time? They are never going to change. Why are you wasting your time on that? Why are you wasting your time with them? They're never going to change. And faith responds, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. Mark chapter 10, verse 27. How do you fight this? How do you fight this? Uh, some practical ways that I know. Anybody ever seen? It was several, several years ago, but there was a movie called War Room. Anybody see War Room? Anybody see War Room? Yeah. Uh, there's a, there's a, a piece of that movie in War Room where the, the lady who's fighting uh, the fight of faith, she literally has this closet, if you will, that she goes into. And in that closet, she had stuff posted, pasted, I, I don't, there was stuff all around those walls so that when, when she went into that place doing battle for what she believed God was calling her to do battle for, those promises of God, those reminders were on the wall. You know what? Something like that might not be a bad idea for some of us. You need that kind of setting where you are constantly reminded, yeah, I'm praying for something here. But my prayer is anchored in this promise of God, the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. And when I read it and I believe God on that factor, it's plugging into the spirit who then begins to move in our lives. Um, I know somebody who um, they have a time with God every day. And as they're working through their time with God every day, when they come to a, you know, a promise of God that really deals with something, um, they will write it on a little piece of paper and they put it like in a box. It's just a little box that they have. So when they find themselves suddenly in these seasons that are intense, they can go back to that box 
begin to roll through those pieces of paper that remind them the things that God has taught them before, God has brought promises to them before, and how they've walked those things out is just kind of a promise box. Some of you, that'd be a good idea. Uh, for some of you, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's simply a, a file on your desktop. I mean, something that's in front of you on a regular basis where you can access what you have accumulated in learning the promises of God and believing them. Uh, sometimes in really intense situations, you got you to get crazy. Like you got to like stick stuff on your mirror, right? The mirror that you hopefully look at every morning before you walk out of the house or, or, or you got to somehow get it on your phone. I mean, maybe it's literally the, the screen that you see when, when, you're, when your phone, somehow something that sometimes you got to take one of those promises and you got to post it in front of you the best you know how, somehow in your car, things that you touch and see every day to where that promise comes to light and you are just reminded that God's word is true and in believing the spirit is activated and he kills sin. I would encourage you, if you don't know where to start, you might just hang out in Romans chapter 8 for a little bit. Because the very first promise of Romans chapter 8, first verse, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's a good one. Because <laughs> if you've ever done anything wrong and then you play the game of rehashing your past and there are times that guilt surfaces, right? There, there are times that your failures just want to put... Romans chapter 8 verse 1 ain't a bad promise to lean into that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Promise. The last verse of Romans chapter 8, no separation. No condemnation on the first verse. No separation on the last verse. Nobody can separate us from his love. So when, you, when you're feeling alone, when you're feeling it's just you, he goes, no, nothing can celebrate, separate you from him. So when I'm afraid, I'm afraid, I can go to verse 14 of Romans chapter 8. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and by him we call father. When I'm afraid, I'm reminded of the promise that my father holds me. It's how we fight. When I ask what we're going through, is this pain really worth it? I get to verse 18 of Romans chapter 8, and he says, Consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Man, so much of the promises are based on not just now, but the life that is to come. If you don't understand eternity, right? If you don't grasp those promises. Sometimes you ever feel so lost that you just don't even know what to say to God? How about Romans chapter 8, verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Wow. When I have absolutely nothing to give, the promise of God is that the Holy Spirit's going, I'm talking for you. 
I'm, I'm interceding for you. God, I cannot see what you are doing in this. God, I don't understand. Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Promise. I know. An election is on most of our hearts. And it should be. It should be. I'm going to tell you where I am personally. Uh, personally, um, I am certainly still holding hope that it could go the way that I think would be best to go. And I'm going to make my decision hopefully the best I can go and look. I'm trying to look at God's word and the principles that he says and w- which is the one that most, most would accomplish such. And I, I would still hold out hope that that could take place. But I am also talking to God about helping me be prepared and certainly aware that if it does not go that way, I think there are consequences for how a nation chooses. And how the nation chooses, there will be consequences that go with that. But regardless, I don't want my life to be a part of any paralyzing fear. Because the God I know called me out of that. And I would just roll back through the list that I just made if I'm afraid, right? Is this really worth it? God, I'm not sure I know what to ask for. God, I'm not sure what you're doing here. And I would just roll back through those verses of Romans chapter 8, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to continue to hear with faith the promises that God makes, those promises that activate the Spirit of God for all power, including for killing sin. Because you better be killing sin or it will be killing you. It is the promise of God. He is enough in every occasion to get it done. Let's pray. God, thank you for recording for us words that you gave the Apostle Paul a long time ago, but words that we need literally every day of our life. God, there's there's not a person who's hearing me today that is not going to have to fight this battle today. God, that tendency that we know when we're honest a tendency to rebel, a tendency of our pride to think that we know better than you. God, we're asking you to give us wisdom that we have read about today. There is a process, a plan, a strategy to fight. And I pray, God, that the people of, of, uh, who call ourselves heart of life, God, that we would be some of the, the meanest people, God, some of the most violent people 
when it comes to how we see our own sin. God, give us a clear perspective of the war that really exists. Got a perspective of what's at stake with our soul. And God, I'm thanking you today that there, there could be a hundred different examples across God, our, our family, our church family, in terms of things we're struggling with, sin that, that, that wants to hold us. But God, in all of that, your word, your promise, when believed, God, activating your spirit, God, you yourself. God, there is killing power that enables us to walk in you. God, I pray today that the truth of your word, God, could sink deep into our hearts. I pray that what you've given us today, God, we will know and we will be intent about living. This is where life is found. I thank you for the freedom that you're going to give, for the healing that's going to come out of today. God, give us faith to trust. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray.